Aloha, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of the Hydrogen Nowcast for May 27th, 2022. I'm recording this episode from Hawaii, hence the aloha, which is the Hawaiian greeting. So I'm here on a pleasure trip, but as they say in Hollywood, the show must go on, and especially this show, which marks the two-year anniversary of the Hydrogen Nowcast. And since this is an anniversary show... I thought I'd do something a little different in this episode and first give you a brief behind-the-scenes look at the podcast, as well as the Colorado Hydrogen Network. Then next, I'll take a few minutes to review the hydrogen technology we've been talking about over the past two years. But first, I want to thank New Day Hydrogen for sponsoring the podcast. New Day Hydrogen is helping fleet owners meet their zero-emission vehicle needs. If you're with a fleet or transit operator, and your fleet is wondering how to convert to zero-emission vehicles but still meet your operational needs... New Day Hydrogen can give you the option of fuel cell vehicles by providing public hydrogen fuel stations near you and showing you the available fuel cell trucks, vans, and buses. To find out more information about both vehicles and fueling, visit the NewDayHydrogen.com website where you can also submit requests on the contact page. Well, longtime listeners to the show will know that the intent behind the Hydrogen Nowcast is to encourage and motivate everyone to get active, to help deploy hydrogen as a means to support renewable energy in this quest to decarbonize the energy sectors and accelerate the movement to stop climate change. You know, anyone can be an advocate for hydrogen technology. You don't have to be rich or powerful. You know, I'm certainly not. So I'm going to start with my story of what I'm doing in the hope that maybe others of you might do the same, you know, wherever you are in the world. So let's pull back the curtain and take a look behind the scenes at the Colorado Hydrogen Network, as well as the podcast. Well, I've got to let you in on a little secret. <laughs> what we find behind that curtain is just me. Uh, it's pretty much a case of a one-man band. In fact, I even wrote and recorded the podcast theme music myself. But on the show, I've never really talked about who I am, but uh, since a number of listeners have asked, here goes. So my background is in engineering. I worked 36 years for Honeywell Aerospace, where I designed new products by doing both the technical systems design as well as the business development activities. And when I retired, I really felt that this hydrogen ecosystem needed some champions to be advocates for hydrogen, especially around transportation. And since I had some skills in that area and plenty of free time, I decided to found a nonprofit organization that could be the hub of a network for hydrogen stakeholders. In other words, basically a forum where people and companies could come together to exchange information and ideas and to, well, network with each other. So I spent the first year just contacting everyone in the hydrogen ecosystem that I could think of, and they were all really happy to talk and connect. And those networking connections have really paid off. Uh, now we typically get, oh, 40 to 50 people attending the monthly Colorado Hydrogen Network meetings, but everyone is welcome to attend, and, and that goes for all of you listening. Now, the Colorado Hydrogen Network was formed back in 2019 by three of us. Uh, in addition to me was Dr. Brian Wilson, who's the founder and executive director of the Colorado State University Energy Institute. Also involved was Franz Westenbrink, who's a retired general manager from Woodward, which is an aerospace company in Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, to form the Colorado Hydrogen Network, we started off by holding a charter meeting, and we invited participants from NREL, from the Colorado Energy Office, the Colorado Department of Transportation, or CDOT, the Colorado Division of Oil and Public Safety, who has oversight of fuel stations in Colorado, the Department of Energy, and also John Cornish, uh, who's with the company EPC, who you just recently heard on Podcast 50. 
And that group agreed with our ideas to start the organization. And so the Colorado Hydrogen Network was born. Now, if you would like to establish something in your area, you certainly don't need to have a charter meeting like we did. But if you're at all interested in starting something, please feel free to contact me. I can give you ideas, tell you how we did it and what's involved. Or even perhaps you'd like to start a network and connect and become part of the Colorado Hydrogen Network. You know, our stakeholders are not limited to Colorado. We just happen to be located in Colorado. So as for my personal background, in addition to having a degree in electrical engineering, I also have a degree in music composition. And I did a lot of singing in high school and college. So speaking on a podcast came pretty naturally to me. Now, the podcast turned out to be a great idea since it's broadened the reach of the hydrogen network and also helped to establish even more connections. Besides my hydrogen work, I do try to get out and ski a couple of days a week. In spite of being 68 years old, I can still ski the moguls well enough to elicit some hoots and hollers from the folks on the slope or on the chairlift. So this kind of brings up the question of why am I now spending all of my time advocating for hydrogen when I could be skiing or traveling the world and goofing off? Well, the biggest reason is that I believe the world is past the tipping point regarding climate change, and that even our best efforts to eliminate the release of greenhouse gases may not be good enough to save civilization from collapse, and that it's going to take both hydrogen and electricity to replace all the functions that fossil fuels provide. Now, the other reason I feel so passionate about promoting hydrogen is that the role of hydrogen seems so widely misunderstood. I think that's because of the complex and technical nature of our energy systems. As I've said many times before on the podcast, to really understand some things, you have to look at the numbers. You know, concepts can sound great, but often when you look at the details, things can fall apart. And that brings back one of my favorite quotes from H.L. Mencken, which is, for every complex problem, there's a solution which is simple, direct, understandable, and wrong. So to illustrate what I mean about needing details, not just concepts to understand an issue, Let's delve into the current state of the hydrogen ecosystem, starting with hydrogen for transportation. And and by the way, (laughs) I prefer the term transportation when talking about vehicles over the currently trendy mobility. You know, to me, mobility includes crutches and wheelchairs and moving beltways. And with hydrogen, we're really just talking about transportation vehicles. So I want to start by saying that I don't think there's any question that we need hydrogen for vehicles of all sizes. I get annoyed when I hear people say that battery EVs are all that we need for light duty transportation. You know, some people talk as if this was a contest and battery EVs have already won. And they even say it that way. But here's why that rankles me. You know, it's absolutely clear that we've got to replace 100% of all vehicles with zero emission vehicles. So that demands that we provide solutions that 100% of the people will willingly accept. And people are only going to accept alternatives that offer the same performance and convenience as what they're used to. Now, battery EVs are different from gas and diesel. If you can charge at home and only drive around town, a battery EV is actually better and more convenient than gas or diesel. But if you're somebody like me who takes long trips, or you tow a trailer, or you haul heavy loads, or you drive in cold weather, battery EVs don't perform as well as gas or diesel. Now, a lot of people make the mistaken assumption that we'll soon have these incredible new batteries with amazing capacity. But guess what? Charge time will always be an issue because it has nothing to do with the battery. It has to do with the practical limits on how much energy you can feed into a vehicle. And by the way, those limits include electrical grid limitations. So charge times of at least 20 minutes will always be with us. So what do the people think? What type of vehicle are they willing to buy? Well, the U.S. magazine Consumer Reports 
the Pew Research Center, and J.D. Powers wondered the same thing. So they all sponsored public opinion polls regarding battery EVs. And the response they got, and this is in the United States, that only 20 to 40% of people said they would ever consider buying a battery EV. 20 to 40%. Why? Well, range and charge time were some of the top reasons. So to all the battery EV pundits out there, how are we going to replace 100% of vehicles with zero emission equivalents if only 20 to 40% of the people are willing to buy them? So this is why I say that we need hydrogen-powered vehicles of all sizes. And that's why I'm so passionate about making hydrogen fueling available so that people have this alternative to select fuel cell EVs. You know, the planet is burning up. We don't have time to guess at a winning technology like batteries and make that the only solution available, only to discover 10 years from now that we were wrong. The planet's burning up. We need all solutions on deck now. So obviously, fuel cell EVs need hydrogen stations. It's so critical that we establish at least one station in each metropolitan area, because until we do, nobody can obtain a fuel cell vehicle. You know, it's really too bad that Elon Musk wasn't a proponent of fuel cells instead of batteries. What we need now is a hydrogen Musk to champion the cause of fuel cell EVs. Well, let's change gears a little bit and talk about another contentious issue around hydrogen, which is how we obtain hydrogen. Now, when we consider sources of hydrogen, we all need to keep in mind that the reason for using hydrogen in the first place is twofold. The first reason is to decarbonize energy systems, and the second is to utilize a renewable resource. I mean, this is the very definition of green, right? No greenhouse gas emissions and a renewable source. So if it weren't for these reasons, we wouldn't even bother using hydrogen. So what are all the possible sources of hydrogen? You know, all we seem to hear about is either hydrogen derived from petroleum using steam methane reforming, or SMR, or electrolysis of water, which of course is splitting water molecules using renewable electricity. But there are other methods. Now, one of those is that hydrogen does occur naturally underground in an ongoing process. Now, the methods of finding it are still being discovered, but there already exist natural hydrogen wells around the world. Now, I want you to watch for an upcoming podcast with Vyacheslav Zgonik of Natural Hydrogen Energy Company to talk about this. Now, this type of naturally occurring hydrogen would be considered green, meaning it has a renewable source and zero greenhouse gas emissions. So obviously, electrolysis is not the only source of green hydrogen. Now, the other source of hydrogen is from biomass. And by biomass, I mean things like garbage or sewage, animal waste, and uh, forest slash, uh, which all of which can be turned into hydrogen. If the carbon is captured and sequestered, and by the way, the carbon can be captured as a solid, this can be considered green. So in other words, a renewable source and zero greenhouse gas emissions. Now, if the carbon dioxide is released, this is at least net zero as far as greenhouse gases go. However, it does have the benefit that the methane emissions from the rotting material is avoided. Now, we don't have a color for renewable source that emits greenhouse gases. And I've proposed before that we adopt the color tan for this type of hydrogen. Another incredibly promising source of hydrogen is from old petroleum wells, but the process of extracting the hydrogen occurs underground, essentially underground SMR, if you will. Now, this avoids any methane leaks or the need to capture and sequester the carbon. Now, this is a process developed by Proton Technologies up in Calgary, Canada. Uh, and I covered this back in episode 13 on November 10 of 2020. Now, this process has the added advantage that it can additionally sequester around three times the carbon dioxide as the extracted hydrogen. 
and it's also far cheaper than above-ground SMR. So because this process releases no greenhouse gases, but the energy source is not renewable, this would be considered blue hydrogen, but true blue, I have to add. Now, the process is also cheaper than above-ground SMR, so this lower cost plus the lack of greenhouse gas emissions leads to the conclusion that this really should be the preferred, if not the only method, of hydrogen extraction from petroleum. So to review how the proton technology process works, first, air is separated into oxygen and nitrogen. The oxygen is injected into the petroleum cavity, where it combines with the hydrocarbons and water, which heats up in the process and essentially performs underground SMR. Only 99.9999%, in other words, four nines of hydrogen, is brought out of the well using a palladium filter. Now, I mentioned the use of old petroleum wells for this. Now, I understand that many of the spent and abandoned petroleum wells around the world are no longer used, not because the well ran dry, but because it was no longer economical to extract the petroleum. I also understand that many of these wells still have about half of the petroleum left in them. So this leads to the conclusion that there is a waiting resource of petroleum, potentially equal to all the petroleum ever pumped, that could be developed as a source of hydrogen. Now, it's not renewable, but it's certainly substantial. So to go back to my earlier statement that hydrogen is contentious and some people are working against the use of hydrogen, I think this is because pulling petroleum out of the ground and turning it into hydrogen can produce fugitive leaks of methane, which is a greenhouse gas. Additionally, the capture of CO2 can be incomplete in some cases. So this has caused environmentalists and others to conclude that all hydrogen is bad and we should rely 100% on electricity. But we've got to overcome this perception because we can't fully make up for all the functions of fossil fuels with electricity alone. For example, high temperature industrial processes like steel and cement making need hydrogen. The transmission of energy, especially across oceans, needs hydrogen. Energy storage needs hydrogen. And fast energy transfer to vehicles absolutely needs hydrogen. So lastly, I'm happy to report that the age of hydrogen has at last arrived which I think is being made possible by the low cost of renewable energy, which is making hydrogen from electrolysis competitive with petroleum, especially now that the price of gasoline and diesel have increased. Additionally, the vast majority of people now believe that climate change is real, and most are willing to do what it takes to develop alternatives to fossil fuels. And lastly, hydrogen really has entered the public consciousness as a necessary part of the energy transition. This is evidenced in the many hydrogen initiatives around the world, and even in the United States, which often lags behind movements that start in Europe or Asia, has set aside $8 billion to develop hydrogen hubs to transport, to store, to make, and to use hydrogen. And lastly, as tragic as the incursion of Russia is into Ukraine, this is also accelerating the move from fossil fuels to hydrogen. And by the way, watch for an upcoming episode regarding hydrogen and Ukraine. Now, the podcast has quite a substantial numbers of listeners in Ukraine, and we want you listeners in Ukraine to know that the hydrogen community around the world is united in our desire to end this aggression so that once again, Ukraine can participate in the building of the hydrogen ecosystem. So with that, I'll wrap up this second anniversary episode. I want to thank all of you around the world for listening, and I'll do my best to keep the Hydrogen Nowcast interesting and informative. So as always, if you enjoy listening to the Hydrogen Nowcast, Consider subscribing to the podcast and also give us a rating in your podcast app. A good rating helps us be discovered by other people. 
And of course, word of mouth recommendations are really important. So consider letting people in your own network know about the Hydrogen Nowcast. Again, I want to thank New Day Hydrogen for sponsoring the Hydrogen Nowcast. New Day Hydrogen is working to build out and deploy hydrogen infrastructure to enable any of us to convert to zero emission vehicles. And if you'd like to contact me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me through the website at colorado-hydrogen.org or on LinkedIn. So until next time, this is Brian DeBruin wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.